Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is the premium mobile GPS app that turns your phone or any mobile device into a mobile GPS. And with the Onyx Hunt app, one thing that you can do using the web map, so when you're on your computer or tablet, you can go in and import and export waypoints and files so meaning say you had a gps where you had all these waypoints before you can take those those waypoints and import them right into the onyx hunt app or maybe you're using a different uh mapping service in addition to that you can also export so say you had you went colorado elk hunting you had all these waypoints but you didn't necessarily need them for the whitetail season and you don't want to bog down your phone with all this content you can export those and save those somewhere to uh, be able to import them for next elk season. Again, it just kind of speeds up the process, speeds up your phone a little bit instead of bogging it down. So that's a, a neat feature that you can use within the Hunt app. If you want to check that out, you head over to onxmaps.com. And if you use the coupon code EMW, that'll save yourself 20% off of the Hunt app. The University of Elk Hunting online course, a membership to the UEH, provides you with immediate access to the most comprehensive and complete resource for increasing your elk hunting knowledge, confidence, and hopefully your success. So in addition to having full access to the entire course for one year, you also have access to the UEH mobile app, which puts all that content from the online course right into the palm of your hand, anytime, anywhere, with or without cellular connection. Plus, you can get a lot of discounts from the Elk 101 partners, including 15% off of elk hunting gear from elk101.com. So a bunch of things you can learn from this and really invest in yourself to be able to learn from one of the best within Corey, Corey Jacobson and the help of others to be able to put together this course. If you head over to elk101.com and uh, use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST, that'll save yourself 20% off of the one-year membership. Tethered. So Tethered really evolved from a desire to provide quality gear and resources to the saddle hunting community. Because the community was such a small niche component of the greater hunting industry, the availability of saddle-specific gear and innovation was lacking. And Tethered came through and solved this problem by designing, engineering, and producing the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. If you head over to tethernation.com, you can learn all about saddle hunting and also check out all of their great lightweight products. So in addition to that, I did want to mention, I just released a YouTube video uh, over on, on my uh, YouTube page that uh, goes through a sample saddle hunting setup in the mountains. So it's just a short one minute video that uh, Justin Mueller put together from our scouting mission this spring. So check that out over on the YouTube channel, which is just Bo Martonic. And so in addition to that, um, I was I was on uh, a podcast here recently, another podcast that uh, it means a lot to me to be able to be on it. And I'll explain why. So 
when I when I started these Meets West Hunt podcast, you know, it didn't just all of a sudden start one day. I had the vision for it back in 2017 and just, you know, I was kind of worried about it. You know, why would someone want to listen to someone that, when I say someone, why would they want to listen to me who is inexperienced, doesn't know a whole lot about Western hunting, adventure hunting? Um, why would someone want to listen to me? But my, my goal of the podcast wasn't to show that I am the best at this or I knew all this information because I don't. My goal was to be able to interview others who can share information to help you, the listener, and myself from a selfish standpoint to be able to go on adventure style hunts, show that they're possible from places from east to west, from the Appalachians to the Rockies, and everywhere in between. And Brian Call from the Gritty Podcast helped me with that. So Brian was able to... He well, he helped me pick out the gear, helped me record the first podcast, all this stuff. You know, I had Brian on here recently, but what he did, um, you know, which was was really cool to me, was be able to have me on his podcast to talk a little bit about it, and that is now live up on his YouTube channel, so you can see us video chatting as well as. Um, also, you can find the audio version anywhere you can find podcasts, wherever you found this one at. So his podcast is called The Gritty Podcast. And once again, I, I interviewed Brian a few episodes back, so check that out. For this week's Mountain Buck Monday, brought to you on Tuesday, I have a story from Anthony Immediate. And Anthony, I think I got your name right. You had to spell it out for me in the email, but it's uh, it's a tough one to pronounce. But you have it's, this story is really great. So back in November of 2018, Anthony said, I looked at a topo map on an area that interested me for a couple of years that looked really promising. The next day, I set up for an afternoon hanging hunt. Within the first hour of my hunt, I had a hot doe and heat being chased by three shooters, a big eight, a solid 10, a double drop tine, and a mainframe eight. I could have shot the big eight and another solid seven that came in towards last light, but I had my mind set on hunting that double drop time buck. I passed on multiple shooters between that November and 18 and January 10th of 2020. On January 10th, 2020, I went back to my topo map and tried to narrow in on his bedding area. On January 11th, I set up a hanging hunt for an afternoon set. And within the first hour, the double drop time buck, along with three other bucks, were chasing a doe, bringing back my memory of when I first laid eyes on this monarch. Almost exactly the same scenario as the first encounter, but there was one problem. After he came in with 50 yards, I noticed he had shed the right side. Never shot a shed buck, never thought I would, probably would have judged people that have done it in the past. I was sitting in the tree, filming him coming into shooting range and couldn't resist. Put my phone down, grabbed my bow, and released on the half rack double drop time. At dark, I backed out, called a dog tracker to help me in the morning, and had a sleepless night. After finding the buck the next morning, I knew the task that I had to endure next, the shed hunt of a lifetime. I asked for help on the New Jersey Woods and Water Forum, and someone had messaged me willing to help. I met up with Ronnie. We searched for a few hours, and Ronnie yelled, I got it. It was a great two-year chase for this buck, but the help I got from strangers and the camaraderie of hunters helping one another was what made this buck even more special to me. That's probably one of the coolest stories that has been sent in that's just awesome to see hunters helping hunters 
the two never even met each other before met on a forum and Ronnie went to help Anthony here find buck of a lifetime. And you can see the photos of this buck over on the East meets West hunt Instagram and East meets West outdoors on Facebook. It's a really awesome deer. And it's just a, such an incredible story, you know, from Anthony here. So send in your mountain buck Monday stories to me via email, or you can send them through social media. Uh, I love sharing these things. They've been really popular with you guys listening and, you know, checking them out on social media. So thank you for that. On this episode of the podcast, I have a guy coming out of the hills of Kentucky, Josh Prophet. Josh has <laughs> caught my attention for quite a while now on social media and has a respect of some really well-known public land whitetail hunters. He is just a big buck killer and he is all about scouting. And if you've seen my stuff long enough, you know I love scouting. I'm a big proponent of scouting all year long. And Josh really breaks that down. He's super successful in scouting 365, using trail cameras, adapting the situations, and really how to find that right spot to hunt. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. A lot of really good information here. So check it out and then uh, check out Josh's Instagram page, bg underscore bowhunter, to uh, see some more of his stuff. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. And uh, tonight I'm joined on the line by a friend of mine coming out of Kentucky, Josh Prophet. What's going on, buddy? Oh, man, nothing. Excited about doing this podcast. I'm too, uh, I've been driving around trying to find service to do this thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's been funny. It's uh, kind of like one of those those old commercials, like, can you hear me now? Nope. And then you hear your truck going down the road. <laughs> yeah no we got her lined up though yeah yeah this will be this will be good i'm i'm excited you've been uh doing a little bit of turkey hunting here recently being being off work so that's uh it's been exciting to uh kind of live through your text messages of photos that you've been sending me <laughs> man it's uh i don't ever get time off work um, like you and i talked earlier a lot of times between drive time i'm working right around 70 hours a week and um I knew when they, as soon as they tur- told me at that um, I was furloughed, like the critters were definitely in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if only it was November. Yeah, I know. Right. If that was the time they'd be laying you off, uh, you'd be, you'd be <laughs> in your glory. Oh yeah. I really would be. The problem is you wouldn't really be off because you'd probably be working more hours in the deer woods than you would otherwise. You know, I always told everybody, you know, I, I take a vacation to deer hunt every year, and I feel like I need two vacations after that. Yeah. <laughs> I I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I use all my vacation to, to go hunting, which is definitely not a normal person's vacation, or it's just, it's a, it's a work trip, I guess, but I, I enjoy it, but it's, it's definitely work. <laughs> oh, yeah. And. And uh, Josh, so you're you're a coal miner for your day job, correct? Correct. So you, yeah, you're working long hours, labor intensive. How how the heck do you get all? Or maybe this is a, a I'm wording this question wrong, but how do you get the time to hunt? Uh, I really don't, man. I've, <laughs> you know, I've done several podcasts, and none of them's changed. Um, 
I have my kids every other weekend. Uh, so basically I'm looking at four days a month to hunt and scout. And, um, I don't know. God has just always been good to me, man. And I've been very blessed to somehow, you know, pull it off and, and have fun. Yeah. So do you, do you, with that limited time, are you hunting mostly in your home state of Kentucky? Or are you getting out and, and different places or what's that look like? No, it's a mostly done here in the bluegrass. Um, you know, just because my time is so limited, if if I was to go somewhere else, you know, I wouldn't t- I wouldn't have time to hunt here at home. And the, and the hunting here is great, and I enjoy it. You know, and a lot of these you know public uh, properties I hunt, I, I just run them like I do my own, like it's my own farm. So I do have four points for Iowa right now, and I do have one point for Kansas. So there are some out of state trips coming up. Um, going to do one with uh, Nathan Gillen going to do Iowa with him and then I'm going to do a Kansas with uh, Chad from Exodus. Nice. That'll be uh that's all this year. Uh, <laughs> I think me and Chad's going to do Iowa or me and um me and Nathan going to do Iowa this year hopefully and then Chad and I are going to do Kansas next year. Okay. And, but, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I get to, I get to hop across the river into Indiana. So sometimes if I tag out early, I'm like six miles from state line. And I actually, the public that I do hunt in Indiana is closer to my house than the public I hunt in Kentucky. <laughs> that's funny. I, um, and so for anyone listening, if you heard some of the names you mentioned there, Nathan Killen was one I had on a um, few episodes back. I guess it's, a couple months back now, um, just absolute killer from Virginia. And he mentioned you, Josh, as far as hunting with you and you guys are buddies. He's such a, such a good dude. And then Chad Sylvester from Exodus as well. Both, both great guys. Oh yeah, man. They really are. Uh, Nathan really is a stone coat killer. Chad, he's just Chad, you know, him and I are real good friends. And, uh, it is what it is. We share a great relationship. Yeah, that's cool. So within um, within hunting, you know, Kentucky, Indiana. What are you What are you looking at? Like, what kind of terrain or habitat are you typically hunting there? So I'm strictly public land when it comes to deer hunting. It's, it's I think it's my 14th season. It's all starting to become just one big blur. Um. <laughs> I prefer hill country, man. The, the hill country here, in my opinion, they're just so much easier to predict. You know, nothing is ever certain, but it's a lot easier to to kill an animal when, you know, the animal uses the terrain to their advantage versus a piece of, you know, flat ground uh, where they can walk anywhere. I'm, you know, I know that they can still use drainages and tree lines, but for my, you know, 25 years of hunting it's definitely easier to get on the bucks in the hill country mm-hmm. and what when you're describing hill country you're talking about just some of the the steeper just big woods type terrain yeah uh probably nothing like you know not mountain country but just you know good hills and uh with with bottoms and and 
and there's ag in the bottoms and on the top of the hills. Just depends on where they are. There's still ag, but it's it's hill country. Ah, I gotcha. That um, and one thing you said there about like the the difference with the hill country versus like flatter land. I know there's some there's some places actually one of the places that I hunt that's flatter and but still just like um a lot of timber. Well, it's it's all timber, but it uh, it's so much harder to figure out the movement of the deer in those areas because there's some of it's like literally there's not really any train and there's some some of the biggest deer i'm hunting are in these areas and i can't (laughs) i struggle so much to do that where if i'm hunting some of the really steep country it can be some rugged places but you you can predict a little bit of their movement uh better than you can those other places i agree with that oh yeah 100 percent yeah um so okay so when you're you're hunting some of these places you said you've been doing that the last 14 years and uh from i i haven't really known you very long we've chatted back and forth on instagram but just seeing all your photos and talking to people that have known you, you've been really successful at you know hunting these properties and and everything i'm interested in kind of hearing how you kind of dive into these pieces from uh from from the beginning, like from a scouting to a, you know, hunting standpoint and, and your strategy, which I've, I, I know a little bit about just from listening to you before and reading some of your posts, but I want, I want to hear about that. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into it. So when, um, so whenever you're looking at a piece of like, say you're looking at a piece of public land, what is, what are some of the things that you're looking at for you personally that makes it worthwhile to even go in and check out with, with the limited time that you have? So for me personally, I like a good mix of hills and agriculture. And I definitely like a piece of property that's bigger. Number one, if it's a bigger piece, it's going to hold more deer and more hunting pressure. And then the third piece would be access. The less access you got, the better the hunting will be. Um, I found out a time ago that access plays a key into that, you know, and into any kind of hunting. But that public land hunting, you know, if you got access on northeast, south, and west, you know, it it makes it really hard to get away from people. You know, a lot of people think they're going deep, and you know they they're walking deep for no reason because somebody on the two miles on the other end is trying to walk a mile or a mile and a half in. And a lot of times the, the good, a lot of the good hunting pressure or good hunting is, is right there around the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when, um, when you're going in and you're, you know, looking at these places with access, what are you say looking online and, um, and say with onyx and and looking at areas that are listed for parking or is this something that you're kind of driving around the area and figuring out like what when you're talking about access are you talking more like um parking lots or you just talking about in general places that people can go in general places and parking lots like here in kentucky you're not supposed if 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 it's not a designated parking area you're not supposed to go in it um a lot of people do they'll mix it up and they'll just park off the side of the road but like a lot of times if the if the property let's just say it's a half a mile wide and it's two miles deep and it's landlocked by private property on three sides like you truly do got a chance to go deep which 
generally, if you can do that, it is, it offers better hunting just because there's not, you know, the people don't want to put in the work. Um, that's more or less what I'm talking about. But I mean, you can't, you can't pass up the obvious, you know, get on Onyx or hunt stand and, you know, scout from home. And then if you have a chance, whether it's in state or out of state, like, you know, drive there and physically check it out. Um, there's no substitution for, for driving around, physically checking it and getting the boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, um, that's, that's so true. Like, I, I don't truly feel comfortable in there until I kind of get to drive around the perimeter or, or just through some of the areas and check them out because there's so many spots that you don't know or pull-offs or places that people can access from and, and or you can find some of your own. Like, because in Pennsylvania, I mean, we can we can pull off anywhere alongside a dirt road. It don't matter. Um, there's not really any, I mean, some of the game lands have designated parking areas, but in a lot of the, the big state forests and national forests and stuff, it's just kind of a, a free for all where people are going to park. So that was kind of a, um, you know, the, the way you're talking about is a little bit different than what I've experienced, I guess, in the past, but that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Just, I guess the game changer was for me is, you know, it's, it's been years ago, but, uh, you know, planned this big hunt out, uh, walked a mile in and I got back there and, you know, there in plenty of time early doing it, trying to do everything right on a hanging hunt. And I run into somebody and, you know, him and I had both spent an hour walking in the dark, trying to go to where nobody else was. And all that happened was, was, um, I come in from the top side trying to catch the deer coming, you know, back from the food. And he come, it didn't matter to him. He come right through the fields, you know, down below me. <laughs> and it just wasn't, it didn't matter to him. It didn't, he didn't think about it. And we just, we ran right into each other, literally a mile from any road in any direction. And so that, that just opened my eyes, you know, just because you're going deep doesn't mean anything. Like you gotta, you gotta be smart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the access is probably one of my key things that I, when it comes to me hunting the public property. Okay. That, that makes sense. And when, okay. So when you find an area or a few areas that you're going to go in, what, what does your game plan look like? Are you trying to scout in the spring? Uh, is this something that you do in the in season? What, what is that kind of looking like? All year, man. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of people say it's 365 if you're a whitetail hunter, and it, it really is. Like, you know, you just don't let your season end. Um, my time is very limited. Um, so when I'm the whole time I'm shed hunting, you know, I'm, I'm also scouting. And then when I'm turkey hunting, I'm scouting. And the good thing about it is, like, I, I love to run a bunch of cameras. Like, it's just, it's just part of who I am. And a lot of people, you know, they kind of – they don't understand it or they look down on me, but like when you're, when you're running 50 or 70 cameras on this public land, like you're not just checking cameras. Like it's a constant scouting mission and you find so much fresh sign. You just, you find, you find out so much more when you actually do get to, to walk around. Yeah. So you're, you're one of the, you're a person that likes to, see it and then kind of hunt that fresh sign if i'm if that's what you're saying here and then let the cameras help you out a little bit with some of the from some of that scouting yeah 
I mean, I like to always work my way backwards. I like to start at all the food sources, you know, as far as, as the uh, agriculture, because those are easiest to find, um, you know, from aerial or on X. And I just like to start there and check the deer sign and work my way back towards to where I would think that they would be bedding. And, um, you know, over the last five or six years, that has just it's been, it's worked out a lot better for me. You know, <laughs> deer are slaves to their stomach. They really are. They got to eat. You know, and a lot of times on this public property, um, you know, they're mainly only using the fields at night, but they're laying down the sign. And if you can pick up that sign and cut it back through the woods and, and piece everything together, bed to feed or transition, like it really starts to make sense on to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, when you're doing that and you're going in and, and scouting and running these cameras, are you running cameras near the food sources on public? Are you where, what's your kind of camera strategy look like was your, as you're going back in? Let's just say the field was 15 acres. Um, I at least have one camera on it. If it's a really hot field, I'll have a couple on it. And then I may have, uh, one or two off some, you know, secondary trails that I think are leading back towards bedding. Um, so I actually do, man, I, I will run them right on the fields and then I'll run them a hundred or 200 yards off of them. Depends on how, how far the deer are bedded. A lot of times if, if the hunting pressure is real low, the deer are bedded real close to the food. And then, you know, if the hunting pressure's you know, substantial, it doesn't mean it's not, it's a bad food source. That just means the deer typically a little further away from it. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you're saying you're running, you know, a ridiculous amount of cameras are when you're, when you're running those cameras, one, I guess let's start off with when you're running them on public, are you having any issues with them getting stolen? On average, I lose maybe two a year, um, between, if I run off my cameras, I have close to 70, and it's normally around two a year. Now, some years it's been higher. This year I didn't get, because of everything that went on with my season and my deer dying, I didn't run near as many. I didn't lose any. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's been one year we lost 15 or 16. Um, but for the most part, as a whole, it's been pretty good. Yeah. Not, not, what, not what you would think. There's an art to it, man. Like, you got to learn you got to learn how to hide these things and then you got to learn the areas where they get stolen at and where they don't get stolen. At. <laughs> yep. if, if you know a property, like I said, you know, I, I hunt these farms like they're my own. And so like, I really, really get to know them. And, you know, a lot of these people that, that hunt these public properties, man, they're, they're just like a white tail. They're creatures of habit. They like to go to the same few hundred acres and if you get into a rude guy's hot zone, I'm telling you right now, he the camera may be gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. I mean, I I rarely get them stolen myself, and I don't run as many cameras as you, but I'm I'm running about twenty myself now, and I know my my dad runs probably I don't know thirty five to forty of them, and we may get one stolen a year, if that it's pretty rare. And like you said, it, I'm also, I'm not like if there's like a, on a, on an Oak Ridge and there's a scrape in the wide open, I'm not setting my camera three feet off the ground on this scrape. You know, that's in, 
I would try to keep them out of sight if possible. If it's in an area where it's a little bit more open, you know, I'm going to take it. I'll usually take my stick and set it up in the tree and angle it down or kind of camouflage it with a stump or put it even lower to the ground. Like, I, I don't know, just try to try to be, you know, thoughtful with it and keep it out of the, the average view, I guess. Yep. 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 Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. I've just heard it so many times that people, you know, say how bad it is with people get cameras stolen on public. And I just, at least in the areas I've hunted, I, <clears throat> excuse me, haven't had that experience that as far as that much of a negative experience. No, it's, um, it's not bad. I've had mainly as a whole good experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, so the, these pieces that you're hunting, um, speaking of like, you know, people potentially stealing them, do, do they usually have a whole lot of hunting pressure or are you kind of finding places that don't have a ton? Man, the thing about everywhere I got to hunt is we got the velvet, you know, we got our velvet hunting, which a lot of states don't offer it. We got over the counter tags that aren't ridiculous. We have a November rifle hunt that lasts two weeks. Um, so we get, man, we get a lot of hunting pressure. And even though that the that hunters, the hunting numbers are, are going down, like the, the drive on public land is going up. And I don't know if that's because of permission or because it's cool to hunt public ground now. But it's, there's a big difference in hunting public ground now versus it was 10 years ago. It's it's tripled in the amount of people that's hunting it. Yeah. I I can imagine. I mean, I, I know even even in the last like 10 years and like I, I hunt uh, southern Ohio and some areas there just have like exploded with hunting pressure from when I started going there to, to now, which I haven't been there in a few years. But when I was going there just in like a five year span, it seemed like it was just more and more people when it got publicized more, it's easier to find areas with things like Onyx and stuff like that. It's, uh, there's a lot more resources out there now. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Yep. I mean, it's a good thing that as long as everybody's respectful, it's a good thing that people are getting outdoors. I mean, it really is. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. So when, with your strategy, you know, you're talking about running, you know, a ton of trail cameras and stuff. What, what is, I guess, what's your purpose with running these cameras? What are you, what are you trying to learn from the Intel? What are you taking from that Intel to kind of apply it to your hunt? Well, man, I don't care what kind of camera you run, whether it's a cell camera or a regular, you know, just standard trail camera. Like it's, it's already happened. It's already in the past. So that's kind of how I look at, you know, that's kind of how my strategy goes. Um, it's like a, a few year plan. And after a few years, I start to figure out the, the areas the deer like, the areas they don't like. I start to, the deer that are smart enough to live, I start to build a, a history with them and narrow their home range down. Um, I find out the bucks that are nomadic. Um, it's really all past tense for me, um, and that's how I use it. I'll I'll move on it the next year, for the most part. Yeah. Okay. And 
that's that's such a hard that's such a hard thing i know with, with me personally to to do that like that's that's why i look at an area i look at it as kind of the least just to put it in general terms like a three-year strategy and and but i sometimes you know i'll get a picture of a really big deer or something the first year going to a new spot and i'm like oh you know i, I want to hunt it and and sometimes i do but it's like if i if i can just let cameras soak in there all year and then learn from that intel after the season you're so far ahead of kind of going into a blind and that's why like even like there'll be areas i scout in the spring and i'll throw cameras up even in the spring on because the battery life's so good anymore we run lithiums you know i'll throw them up on scrapes in the spring and leave them there all year and come back and get them after the season even if i not plan on hunting it just for future reference you know oh yeah i mean that's how you know, there's some of my cameras that only get checked once a year. You know, some of them are two to three. Um, some of them in my hotter areas maybe four or five times a season. But there's a, there's a handful of my cameras that only get checked, you know, once a year. And, you know, one thing that I really like doing, like if, you, if you're going into an area, like it all depends on hunting pressure and the way that the food plot rotations are on some of these WMAs. Like you have to be a, adaptable. Um because the deer will will gravitate towards the food, and they may be using it at night, but it's going to dictate how they move during the day. <clears throat> so, what I like to do is, like if I if I have a week to hunt, I like to do a big camera run, uh, at least a day or a day and a half of nothing but scouting and checking my cameras, and then. You know, I may have three hundred acres that had five cameras on it, and then I this I go east and I had three or 400 more acres that had five cameras on it. And then, you know, one of those blocks of timber only had two or three shooter bucks on it. And the other one had six or seven. So, you know, technically I, I like to stack my odds, you know, I'm an opportunist. I hunt like a coyote. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to go where the most bucks are. And that, that is one good thing that the, that the trail cameras do help you with. That's not past tense, but, you just, uh, you, it's a tool, man. You can't rely on nothing can replace woodsmanship. Yeah. Um, so with, with, um, with this being said, you know, talking about finding, you know, quantities of the good bucks and putting your odds in your favor, are you hunting like all, are you hunting a lot of the season, like through October or well, from velvet on, or is this more of like a rut strategy? What, what do you kind of, what's that look like for you? All year, man. All, I mean, all year that it doesn't matter if it's, if it's September or if it's January, like, I'm still going to stack my odds. If, um, if I know I can hunt two days, I'm going to spend a half a day and try to get, you know, between five and eight cameras checked and then do a and scouting along the way and whatever place, you know, has the freshest sign or the most bucks on camera that or a caliber that I like to shoot, you know, that's where I'm going to go. Typically, man, I've, I've only had one deer that got underneath my skin. That's it. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm never just trying to chase one deer. It's not very predictable for me. And, um, so I just don't do it. Yeah. It, I tried doing that. Well, probably a couple times once like really hard and and i i don't want to do it again i i don't want to say that i never will but i don't want to <laughs> it 
it took the fun out of it. It really does, man. If you don't, if you don't have the the time to do it, it's it's tough. And like I said, you know, a lot of these deer on public land, not all of them are really nomadic. And um, the only time that I ever done it, I the deer was a booner, and I had seen it a couple of times. And and the deer just lived in such a small area. Like I felt it, I felt like I could do it with my limited time. And, um, it still didn't work out. (laughs) I thought you were going to tell me a different end of that story there, but we'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is what it is, man. I ain't going to miss. Yep, it's realistic, right? (laughs) It is, it's realistic. Well, that's like, uh, last year I thought I was going to have one of those bucks that, um, was one of the ones that I was going to get obsessed with, and I started getting trail cam photos of him two years ago. He was a two and a half year old that had 14 points and he had split G twos and threes. And I'm like, this is just an unbelievable Pennsylvania deer. Like he's going to be a giant. And then this year he made it three years old and he started being a little bit more ghostly and kind of disappeared from the, the area where I was running the cameras in and hunting. I don't know if I was putting too much pressure on or what, but anyways, um, he showed up the last night right after rifle season ended I, on my exodus render my cell camera i hit it at that night at like midnight and he had his whole beam broken off the one side that had all the splits so i'm like okay well i'm not gonna even try to hunt that area late season so i don't get tempted to try to shoot him and uh he got ended up getting shot like one of the last days of muzzleloader mistaken for a doe he had shed the other side and just had the base with his brow time where it was broke off there so that was um but that deer would have been an absolute giant this year coming into it and with all with just such cool character i have a feeling i would have got pretty obsessed over it and then and probably pretty disappointed in the result but (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 man it's uh it gets tough but I mean, I guess it all depends on, you know, your goals. Yeah. So let's talk about goals a little bit. When you're going in um, to hunt, I, from this, what, talk about, I guess, your 2019 season a little bit. And from, from what I, I don't know a whole lot. I haven't talked to you, asked you these questions yet, but like, tell me a little bit how that season went for you. I heard it wasn't uh, exactly how it was planned. (laughs) No, man, it was, it was horrible. First off, I want to say that take advice from others. You can learn from others, but don't let anybody like dictate your goals. Don't let anybody tell you what you need to be doing. Like you need to figure that out on what, what you want to do. If you want to shoot a two and a half year old, 120 inch deer, like don't be ashamed of doing it. If you want to hold off for a four or five year old, 160, like do it. Like, set your own goals and get with it. But my 2019 season, ah, man, it started out looking good, man. Started out looking real good. I had, uh, several good bucks on camera and, um, I had two booners on camera, um, which is something I normally don't have that early on. And man, one of them, was just like clockwork um i'd been watching him all summer in person um 
several, several pictures of him. I literally had the deer 100% down to where he was feeding and about 75% down to where he was bedding within probably a 15-acre area. So my goal was to kill him. Like, I thought that was feasible. Um, one week or a week or week and a half before season come in, I walked back there to change a camera out. I eased in there in the middle of the day with an Exodus Ringer, their cell camera. Um, me and a buddy found him dead, 100 yards off the road, EHD. Oh, and, uh, yeah, he's like 174. And then, uh, so I was, you know, I was starting to, to scramble to check some cameras and, um, to do some things. And then I, I knew I had another area that was really good that had a deer I called Blackwater. He was always in the area and, uh, he was a, he was probably a one fifty before the year before. And, uh, so I wanted to move that Exodus render back there and, um, on along of checking the cameras, man, going and trying to scout and check these cameras a week before season come in, just turned to me, just finding dead deer everywhere. Um, I found 21 dead deer in a week. Literally, the uh, the woods smelled like death. Like, you could pull up, and you could just smell smell it in the air. Like, it was the most, it was the most eerie feeling I've ever had walking in the woods. Man. And uh, I, have, I had stood in one place before and seen two bucks dead. One floating in the creek and one laying on the side of the creek. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't looking good, and me and my buddy Matt were uh, heading to put this camera out, and you know, caught a whiff of something, and and looked over, man, and there, there Blackwater was dead, and um, taped him out. He was four or five years old, at 191 inches. So it was oh my, two boners I found in a week, and you know, 19 other deer, and then of course. You know, I, the way I network out there, everybody I know that hunts the properties I hunt, they're they're finding the same thing. So my hit list was so strong, and it just, man, it went to nothing. It's just like a white teller's dream, or like a nightmare. <laughs> nightmare, you know, yeah. Their, their, their dream was just crushed, and it went to a straight nightmare. So um, I had one other buck I was going to try to kill early. Um he lived at least through the first weekend of September that I knew of. No luck. And then just between me trying to check cameras, because I was starting to scramble because I, literally I was losing my deer. So I was, you know, checking cameras. I normally don't check this early. Scouting going deeper than what I normally don't go, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And um, it just got so bad that I completely pulled off the property and, um, I made a big move, man. I went to a great big piece over a hundred thousand acres and, uh, by road, it was a three hour difference from where I was hunting at. Uh, great genetics, the kind of terrain it offered everything I wanted other than the deer density was a little lower. Um, I come from about 25 deer per square mile and this place had about eight to 10, which isn't many, mm -hmm. but man, it had, uh, it had some true giants on it. Um, I had one 200 inch deer on camera, um, another 170 or 180, 
and we're talking a real short time period and not very many cameras but between me trying to scramble and i just i could not get it done man um i just couldn't i could barely even (laughs) making that move i could barely even see a deer to be honest with you i um there was multiple days where i would only see like one deer yeah uh, so it was like in a week's time, I seen one shooter 200 yards through the woods and there was some snow on the ground and that's the only reason I seen, seen him. But I was camping, I was backpack camping there and, um, you know, I don't know if anybody remembers how cold it got like that first week in November or second week in November this year. Yeah. Um, it was single digits several nights with me in that tent. So it was just, it wasn't a very good uh, season all year round. I was having to drive so far to scout, check my cameras, hunt. Um, it was such a far drive. I wanted to camp every time I went there. and um, It definitely opened my eyes. My 2019 season's my worst season of my life. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess if you can pull any positives out of it, it sounds like you found a new area that uh, is holding some giants well the, the one thing that i can tell anybody is don't put all your eggs in one basket like i've done over the last several years like have a backup plan <laughs> yep yep i will now have scouted and have at least 10 or 15 cameras on a different piece of property you know a good ways away from where i normally hunt for sure and the way you described that smell in the woods is I, I in the area that that I live and I hunt in mostly I've never experienced EHD but when I was living outside of Pittsburgh in the suburbs EHD hit there and literally driving like through like the communities and stuff you could smell it like you, it just smelled like death I know I know exactly what you're talking about it was terrible it was one summer that that it hit really bad it was just a disgusting smell, but, and then the fact that you found that many dead deer and then on top of that two who your top ones, that's a, that's a good way to, to put you down in the dumps going forward. Well, I mean, you have to be, you know, realistic and like, you know, like my ultimate goal is to have fun, but like I have fun, like chasing these, these public land bucks that, you know, elude everybody else. And, you know, I like gunning them down and when they're not there, like, I'm not going to waste my time. Like I'm not going to do it. And so the, the scramble for me to find that, that those bucks on a different piece of property starting in October, I just, I couldn't do it, man. Not with the time I had to to do it, mm-hmm. not with the four days a month, but it, uh, it is what it is. Last year's the first year I haven't killed in five years. So. Hey, I know the feeling, man. <laughs> I was I was the same way. With um, it, um what's that? Uh just go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, uh did, so is that property that had the EHD hit real bad, is that gonna be good this year or is it gonna take a few years to recover? I'm gonna say at least three. Uh, I'm gonna run probably ten cameras in my best place. Um I talked to uh, a guy that that is a is a good hunter i talked to him last week 
and he did not see he spent his whole season there he did not see one shooter he had i'm gonna say three three or four shooters on camera and that was it which i'm i'm normally have 30 or 40 is what i'm used to (laughs) so you know what i mean i'm used to having three or four on a camera uh sometimes and it just wasn't worth it man was was not worth it and i'm gonna say three years if i had to guess because you gotta think with the with the older class deer getting wiped out and you know the younger class there's some there's some good looking two-year-old bucks but man they gotta make it through this public and make that's the hard thing for a public land buck to do is when he's two years old he's already got a big target on his back because you know all of our two-year-olds can get 130 inches and you know no offense to the guys down south like that's a that's big to you know that's a big big deer to them or that's a big deer to anybody that's a big deer to me get shot (laughs) yeah so they get shot they get shot and it just makes it tough so i'm just i'm gonna say it's gonna take a while Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I always i always joke to myself about uh I shot a buck in Ohio. I went down there and shot on public land and it was a, it was a 12 point. And, uh, but I bet he was only two and a half years old, maybe three, if that, but like when I, it was so funny because I just, I shot a buck in Pennsylvania two days before that, that had the same size rack, but just basically had the same size rack and he was a five-year-old and the body was like double the size of this other deer that had that was younger but had the same you know size rack on it it was it's funny it was like a complete adjustment for me to to be able to see that and i could see you know where others going into a place like kentucky or you know that that have some of those stronger younger deer it's 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 uh it's difficult yeah, I mean, it, it is, and I'm by no means a big buck killer. Like, if I think the deer's three and a half years old and he's 130 inches at an eight-pointer, I'm going to shoot him with, with a long bow. Um, so I don't want to, you know, come off the wrong way. I'm just saying, like, it's a lot harder for a deer to make a, a bounce back after that, after that when the hunting pressure is a lot more than what it would be on a piece of, you know, private property, uh, for say. Yeah, no, I, I'd I'd fall on you, and, and you're right, and that's it. It's everybody's goals are different, and and uh, mine mine change depending on where I'm at or what I know. You know, I always seem to hold myself accountable a little bit more in Pennsylvania because I get more time and I scout it a lot heavier than I do when I'm traveling to say Ohio or something. You know, it's it's all in kind of kind of what you want, I guess. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. So with with that, you know, your way your 2019 season went. What's what's it looking like for 2020 then? So it's looking different than it ever has. Like I said, this um, I'm going to run. You know, I'm going to keep an eye on my on my home turf, my favorite piece that I've ever hunted. I'm, even though the deer, a lot of the deer have died, like I'm going to keep an eye on it. Um, but the other WMAs that I like to hunt or would like to hunt. They're doing quota hunts now, and the quota hunts are from the bow season is from the second week of October to the last weekend of November, and then there's a there's a two day rifle hunt the first week in November on the WMAs that are closest to me. Um, 
So if I don't, if I don't make that, that draw, then I can't hunt them. And then for sure, like it's an every other year thing. Like if you don't get it, then if you get a preference point. So the way I like to hunt and build my history with these deer and run this, these cameras and scout like these properties are my own. I have found what I would like to call like something like you talked about, like a semi piece of public. Uh, there's a coal mine here about 15 minutes outside of my house, which basically you just pay a trespassing fee. Um, they give you a permit and you, and it's hunted under statewide regulations. It's 11,500 acres. Um, but it's open to statewide regulations. It's not something I typically would hunt. It's a lot of flat ground, a lot of really, really scrubby timber, but there's a lot of ag and a lot of CRP. So I know the potential um, for the big deer are they're, they're there. I know I I know it without even going there. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's just going to be different, you know. Um, I think a lot of my hunting will be done on the ground or very low on a tree. Um, I think I'm really going to have to, you know, dig deep into some strategies and trying to adapt, um, and probably using some river access. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see. You can, uh, you can bait on this property, which is something you can't do on, you know, the WMAs here. So I'm looking real forward to getting some minerals started next week. Okay. Nice. And is that the way it is in Kentucky? Like you can't run minerals or anything even outside the season? You can, just not on public property. Ah, okay. Okay, I gotcha. So in this piece, because it's um, it's privately owned, but it's in with the uh, USDA funds and Corps of Engineers and like wetlands programs, it's ran under statewide regulation. So you can bait out. I would never hunt over a corn pile or anything like that, but I can promise you I'll definitely be running some mineral sites for my cameras and, and for the deer. Oh yeah. You'll gain so much Intel from being able to do that. Like in, in Pennsylvania, we're allowed to put out minerals or really bait outside of the season, um, except for on state game lands, but you are allowed on the, the national forest and I believe state forest too. I'm not sure on, on that, but there's, and then on private land you can, but it's, and then you just have to have it out or, you know, not nothing there within 30 days of the season, I believe. But right. Yeah. But that's, that's so nice for running for, uh, getting inventory of the bucks there. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. And, the good thing about like a new piece is always fun. Um, I found that out, like it's a new challenge and, um, you know, it, it takes a, a few, it takes time to figure it out. You know, when you, when you're limited, like I am, it takes time. And this partial is, uh, this piece is a lot more, I normally like my piece continuous, like five, 8,000 acres continuous. This place is 600 acres here, 300 here, 1100 here, 1500 acres here. So it's, it's going to be, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pattern my deer like I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, I think that the hunting pressure will be during bow season will be the lowest I've ever had. And I think the chance for me killing a September or October buck will be the best that it's ever been. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's really, uh, that's pretty exciting. Have you, have you killed velvet deer in the past? 
No, I have not. And I've been doing it for a while. I just haven't got to connect. I've come close. Um, <laughs> I literally, the closest I ever got was, it was the Friday before season. So literally 24, you know, or I was 24 hours away from hunting. And uh, I was watching a bean field the year I've been watching all summer come out two hours before dark doing the same thing he always done. And I'm like, you you know, like you're dead tomorrow afternoon. Like I was already thinking about how he was, which form I was going to get him mounted on. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I thought it was that for sure. I, the wind's perfect. I get up in, you know, I hang and bang. I get up in there and, uh, you know, six o'clock rolls around He's not there. Six thirty rows around. He's not there. Seven he rows around. He's not there. So I, I'm getting really worried. And right at dark, he comes out in front of me within bow range. But he's got to walk through this long strip of of CRP and then get into the beans. And the beans are eight down so low. I can sh- I could sh- have shot into him, but the freaking thing has shed his velvet. And I just seen him less you know, 24 hours ago and he hit was in full velvet. Now he's got 75% of it off of him. And he showed up two hours later. Oh, and I, when he come by me in bow range, literally all I could see in legal shooting light was his neck and his rack and his head. And I just wasn't going to do it. So I just had, I had to let him go. And that's as close as I've ever come in September. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's funny. That's that's some, that's some funny luck right there. (laughs) If you want to put it that way. But (laughs) yeah, I've, uh, I've been, it happens, man. I've, I guess when you get on such a, you know, you get so high on these things, man, it's, it's good to get humbled too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that was just, that was one of those experiences, man. Like I, I don't remember. It's been so long ago, but I'm sure I was telling all of my buddies like, Oh yeah, he's dead. I'm going to whack him. And, um, and he's not on the wall. (laughs) Man. It's so funny. Every, every year I go into the season with like extreme confidence and like just, and every year I get just beat down to the point and then, you know, it's just being like, okay, yeah, you, you, you don't know as much as you think you do. So just keep working. Well, <laughs> uh, you figure that out the older you get to, like you figure that out. Like I can't, I can only imagine how cocky and arrogant I was when I was in my early twenties versus my mid thirties. Like it's night and day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so if all right so you know we talked a little bit about you know your strategies and how you're going in and, and scouting these areas you know if you were to give you know someone one piece of advice that you could think of when it comes to hunting public ground um and say kentucky or some of the areas that you're in what what would that be what would that, or really anywhere but what would that look like Set your own goals and stick to them. Don't let, you know, people dictate where to go or what to do. A lot of these pieces I've hunted, people have told me there's no good and there's no deer there. And I've got a picture of six booners in one year. Um, Put in the time, um, scout it a lot more than you can hunt it. If you can hunt 
three days a week. I'm telling you right now, in the early stages, you need to be scouting a day and a half or two. And as you start to learn, you can slack off of that. But don't don't ever back off of your scouting. Um, a lot of things, a lot of times, that's something I didn't tell you about. One thing I do like about these some of these public properties that I will look for, like I love the public properties that are in great areas but offer like a lot of human intrusion, like um, hikers, horseback riders. That gets the deer used to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been my experience, like it's just, it offers better hunting because there's literally people out there fishing or hiking or horseback riding, talking and riding all year. And the deer you know, are adapted to it because they live there. That's their home. Um, so that may be something that, you know, somebody can look into. Those are definitely pieces of property that I like personally. Mm-hmm. Set, you, set your own goals, man. And, and, uh, have confidence in yourself and, uh, and get after it. Don't just go climb up in a tree. You don't, you don't have to have 10 cameras or 20 cameras or 70 to kill big deer. Like, you know, use your own eyes. If you, you got five cameras out and you're not getting a picture of a shooter deer, but there's scrapes and big rubs everywhere. Like something, you're doing something wrong, like move your cameras or totally just take them out of the woods and put them in your tote because you're trying to rely on them too much. Like, do not let anything outweigh your your woodsmanship. So is that, I guess this is a, a question I didn't exactly ask you, and, and based on what you just said there, so is that what's kind of dictating that, that woodsmanship and, and and also you're you know, seeing what you learn from your cameras, knowing when you're going to actually, you know, say, get into a tree? Um, no, I know it's not, I don't want to say start hunting because you're hunting the whole time, but as far as like once you stop the scouting and, and sit in the tree, what what is that thing that triggers you to do that? It does. Does what? Sorry, you broke up on me. Just uh, what what does it take for you to say, okay, I'm going to hunt this spot or I'm going to, is it like, just kind of walk me through what's in your head. I know every scenario is different and it's, it's difficult to explain, but what, what constitutes you to be like, all right, I've done my scouting here for the last day and a half. It's time to, to sit here. I started killing the deer that I wanted to when I made the transition of going into an area and thinking it looked good and hanging versus going into an area, breaking it down, figuring out where what deer were using it or where exactly they were using it and going from there. Like, don't just go off of a gut, off of a gut feeling. Don't walk into a place and say, oh, this looks good. Like, I'm going to hang here. Like find the trails. Why are the deer there? Where are they bedding? Where are they feeding? Which wind would they be here on? Like it's, it's really not rocket science. If you just step back and really try to figure it out or before you ever even take off, like go home, write down on a piece of paper, like, okay, I'm going to go in here and find out, you know, like I want to know like the three W's like when, where, and why, like when is this deer coming here? Where's he coming from and why? And just, make a checklist and go into a place. And when you go into a place, you have a mental note of, of what you need to find when you go in there. And if you can get everything, you know, kind of lined out up, that's what I do. And that's, you know, when I hang there. Gotcha. 
And and I'm guessing with with those questions you're asking yourself, that all depends on the time of the year and everything else, depending on what that setup would look like. Yes. Yeah. And on a lot of these publics, like don't be don't be scared to get aggressive. Like if I bump a, a deer I want to shoot, I just move on to the next one. Like that deer is going to show up on normally will show up on one of my cameras or somewhere. And I'm telling you, man, the properties I've hunt because of how the, you know, the horseback riding and the hiking and the, and the small game hunting and the horse and everything like the deer, they're just not, it goes against everything everybody ever told me. Like I've literally bumped all these deer and then they're still on my cameras. Uh, they're still, you know, they may, they may be on five cameras, but they're on two of them in the daylight. So mm-hmm. they're still killable. Like I didn't run the deer out of the county. Um, so don't be don't be scared to get aggressive. And if you bump one, just you know shrug it off, stay positive, and 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 move on. Gotcha. That's um yeah. The, with the, the amount of scouting you're doing and stuff in the season, I figured I was kind of your your thought process into it and not worrying as much about it because the amount of intel you can gain versus the the I guess negative of potentially bumping one is, is far outweighs it. Oh yeah. Now don't get me wrong. Like there's known bedding areas or if I know where for sure where a buck's bedded and which is really hard to do. I'm not great at it. Yeah. I don't want to even sound like I am. Like I won't go there. Like I'll say for instance, like one of my best stands or my best areas that I like to hang in year round. I don't care if it's September to January, it's good all year. I can only go in there. It's right on the line and it's a clear, it's almost a clear cut on the private property. So the deer are literally betting on the private and going to the public. Um, like if the wind is blowing wrong there, like from the public to the private, I, I will not check my cameras there. I for sure won't do that. But if I got to, if I'm trying to get 10 cameras checked and I know which 10 cameras are, I am as long as it's not messing up anything that I think it's going to mess up. I'm going to get to them as quick as I can. I'm not going to walk, you know, I'm not going to walk the road. There's a four mile walk. I'm going to cut through the timber where it's two. Yep. Okay. That, that, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and the, the Intel man, the Intel you find while doing that is priceless. Like I've stumbled on, I've killed deer doing that. I've been like, oh man, you know, this is a great looking area. Look at all this fresh shine. And I I always keep like a couple of floater cameras with me. So I always have one with me when I'm checking cameras. So, you know, let's get one in this area. Let's go ahead and break it down while I'm here. And I'll figure out like when is the best time to try to kind of, you know, hunt this. And when I come hunting, I can check this camera and then I can see if everything that I was thinking was true. And if it's not, then... You know, it is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I man, I I just I totally agree with uh, your standpoint of the the scouting more. And you know, I I've been kind of listening to you here, but when the way I look at it, especially when I go to places like when I'm going to Ohio or I'm going to a place that you know I haven't been into, if I have five days to hunt, yeah, I'm I want to spend as much time as I need to scout it first. 
Um, the last buck that I killed in Ohio was that way. I went, I had, I scouted it in the spring and I had like potential areas marked and I just went and checked all of them until I found a spot that had everything was lining up. It looked good. It was, it was during the rut. So it was, you know, good funnel over the side of this, this hill and, um, kind of in this draw that was coming up, everything just felt right. And it made sense from, from the standpoint of the, you know, I, I'd never thought of it the way that you said the, the, what, where, when, but, um, that, that whole, the W the three W's there looking at it that way makes sense. But I, I set up based on that, um, after scouting for half the day and, you know, I ended up shooting a buck that night out of that spot. And it's like, if I would have went to my predetermined spot that I had in from the spring, would it have worked out? I don't know, maybe, but, uh, I, I love just moving around and, and, uh, you know, finding that hot sign and figuring that out. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And don't, don't over process it and don't overthink it, but like put thought into everything you do. Like if you kill a deer, like think, think, if you don't know why, like think about it, like why did this deer do this? Like, why did he, where did he come from or why did he do this? And then maybe that will, will shed some light onto, you know, like why the deer are using that area. Like, Oh, he did come from that way. Well, maybe I need to, you know, now maybe I need to walk over there now that you, you may find like, Oh man, that's an awesome bedding area. Or, oh, that's a doe bedding area. He was coming down the wind of it. Like just, uh, don't, o- don't overthink it, but put some, put some thought into everything you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that couldn't, couldn't be any more truer advice and, and, uh, uh, a great mindset and I'm, I'm pumped that i actually got to get you on here josh and 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 talk to you i've been hearing your name from a while for a while from some people and and i've been checking out your stuff so i was glad to, to get you on here and and chat a little bit man i appreciate it there's you know there's guys out there a lot better than me and to be honest with you i'm going to tell you i'm successful because I pray about it. I don't worry about it. And I have fun. If I make a mistake, I just shrug it off and I move and I, and I move on. Um, the main thing is staying positive and having fun and don't let your hobbies become before your priorities. Um, you know, the day that you put hunting in front of your family or your wife or your kids, like I'm just telling you, you're leaving the house, uh, for failure before you ever even get to the deer stand. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's very true. That's in very, very good input with, and Josh, that's just like, like I said, just your, your whole way of going about it and just is, is definitely an admirable. And, uh, I'm, I'm super pumped to, to be able to get you on here cause you're very humble for the, for the listeners that once they check out your Instagram page and stuff. And even then, I mean, you're, extremely successful in this and the hunting you do and, and very knowledgeable so i i appreciate you sharing a little bit of that that information and and as you kind of stated earlier um you know there's not there's not one way to do this everyone's got their own way and kind of got to figure it out but uh it just i i like to take information from people like yourself and others that are successful and see where that fits into my overall plan Oh yeah. I mean, you can, like I said, you can learn something 
from everybody and, you know, just figure out your own style and, and go for it, man. Set your own goals and have fun. And, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. If you're not having fun, you're, you're not going to be very successful. I'm telling you that right now, if you're out there and you're trained, you know, there's a difference in going out there and being tired and, and, you know, making mistakes versus going out there and just making mistakes because you're trying, you know, just, just have fun. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, where can people find some um, more information from you? I talked about your Instagram. Uh, you want to give your Instagram handle and any other places that people could find you? So the only place you can find me is Instagram. Um, I'm fairly active on it. Um, and it's BG underscore bow hunter. Um, and that's, that's it, man. I like to take pictures and I like to have fun. Yeah. Very, very talented photographer too. Um, from that standpoint. So check out his page and, uh, again, Josh, I don't think this will be the the last time we're talking on the podcast here. If, if you agree to come back on, but <laughs> man, I, I don't think that I've ever, you know, I've probably done 10 or 15 of these and I've never turned one down. And anytime you can talk big deer or the outdoors with anybody, I mean, it's, it's a good time. So yeah, I'm sure you and I'll be talking sometime or another on here again. <laughs> yeah, and first of all, you could have made me feel a little bit more special by uh, saying that, you know, instead of saying that you've agreed to all of them. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will say this: you've you've asked me some better questions than I've been been asked because you can all. I've had some people ask me. You know, I've been on some podcasts where they just didn't ask the right questions, so I couldn't. I couldn't give the answers and yeah. you know, I feel, I feel, I feel good about this. You done good. Oh, I appreciate that. Good. It's, it's, <laughs> believe me, it's, it's, uh, it's stressful to kind of, you know, figure it out and figure out how to pull that information out of, out of people, you know, cause it's like, you know, I know everyone, you know, the people I'm interviewing like yourself, all the information's there. It's my job to figure out how to get it out of you. <laughs> Oh yeah, yep. No, it was um, this was well done, man. I, I definitely had fun. I, I appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, thanks, Josh. I I do appreciate that. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.